0: Money is a human invention, right? But humans existed before money.
1: But I think that if I really had to be specific, I think my best answer would be, it's his balance sheet.
2: Hmm. And
1: so money is
2: effectively, if it's doing its job well, we're completely unaware of it.
3: Essentially, money is the denominator that everyone uses as a common frame of reference. We exchange money so
1: that we each agree where we are going to put our attention.
4: My personal latest thinking is like money is information. So in that sense, money is just a tool, right? And tools are instruments that save us time.
2: Yeah. I mean, you mentioned you brought up, I guess, Ayn Rand earlier. I mean, she said the verdict you pronounce upon money, which is the source of your livelihood, is the verdict you pronounce upon your life.
4: Hey everybody, welcome to the What Is Money show. I am thrilled to have you here joining me on my mission to help shine light on the corruption of money. Now, if this is your first time listening to the What Is Money show, I strongly recommend that you go back to episodes one through nine first, which lays a lot of the groundwork for many of the concepts that we explore on the show. These first nine episodes are my series with Michael Saylor and Again, that's WolfNYC, W-O-L-F-N-Y-C dot com. To take it maybe like a a slightly more philosophical bent, if you say, if we analogize money to being something like economic water, right, it's the medium that we're all immersed within. Uh, We're constantly thinking through it and using it to deal with one another, even if we don't Like, I just bought this can of water for a dollar earlier. How many tens of thousands of people are connected to the production structure and supply chains that went about bringing this aluminum can filled with uh, soda water, sparkling water, and delivered it into a refrigerated unit into this building and I could just go down there and pay a dollar and get it. I mean, I just communicated with tens of thousands of people without ever knowing it, right? For me, it was just scanning Actually paid with Bitcoin, so I just scanned a little QR code and paid a few thousand Sats. Poof, here it is. But what I fail to see or fail to account for are all the tens of thousands of people that go into making this thing possible. Um, It, you know, it is very much like economic water in that we're communicating with with people all the time, even when we don't know it. Uh, We're all swimming in the same water, I guess you might say. So, if money is economic water, fiat currency is inscrutably murky, right? It has lots of noise. You can't tell whether the price changes are real or they are inflation-driven, you know, monetary policy-driven. And Bitcoin would be the opposite. Bitcoin would be crystal clear economic water, uh, has pure signal, absolutely zero unexpected inflation or supply fluctuations. And an economy run on a Bitcoin standard would again, permesis would then have fewer booms and busts, right? It would be a more stable, more healthy, more sustainable economic system. So in trade, everything is valued at some ratio of everything else. For instance, you might say that a car is worth 132 chairs or a house is worth 11 cars, something like that, right? Everything is exchangeable at a ratio of everything else. These are are called exchange ratios. And one useful definition of money is that it is just the medium through which we more easily calculate these exchange ratios. So in that sense, money is just a tool, right? And tools are instruments that save us time. So specific to money, Money is going to be a tool that helps us save time in the negotiation, calculation and execution of trades. So you could think of it as like something that accelerates the free market process that helps us refine our ideas and drive innovation and technology. So generating time savings like that, that's the purpose of all tools. So the shovel right this is my common example you can dig a lot more holes per hour using a shovel than you can with your bare hands so the shovel is an instrument that accelerates you in your aim towards hole digging right just like money is an instrument that accelerates you in your aim of trade with someone else and so this is also you can think of this too is when you're buying and selling something market actors are basically communicating their preferences into the marketplace. So if I decide to buy a a house and sell a car, the information that I'm pushing out to the market with that buy and sell decision is to make more houses, right, because I've increased the net demand on houses and decrease production of cars because I've reduced the net demand for automobiles. I'm actually selling the automobile, reducing Uh, Demand. So, and it's that system of propagating information, ideas, and preferences that is what's coordinating people, right? It's what lets you know what to do. So when you wake up as a producer of houses and you see that, you know, prices, house prices have gone up a little bit in an area, then you are actually incentivized to go out and produce more houses. And vice versa, if you're the car manufacturer, you see the prices of cars are being slightly Uh, depressed then you have an incentive to produce less cars or a disincentive to produce more cars however you want to put it so that's just kind of alluding to money's let's say informational properties and uh how it propagates information throughout a society via the price signal and so now with doing all these uh episodes that you've done Currently, when someone asks you, how would you describe money? Like, what would you say? Like, what is money? M- my personal latest thinking is like, money is information. Like, I'm getting information from mm-hmm. from the money. Uh, I-, I feel like my answer is always changing. <laughs> um, yeah. What 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 is your current? Because sometimes I'll say, oh, okay, it's purchasing <clears throat> power. M- money is purchasing power. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what, what's your current definition of money or working hypothesis or working theory? Cause you know, having here, listened to you, I know you're exploring this quite deeply, but if someone was to ask you, what is money? What would you answer today? It's I'm not, not holding you to this. I know it can change. Well, look there, it's not change. There's just multiple answers. Mm-hmm. There are many, I think I have a running document with 50 some odd answers. I've tried, I've written about several of them, probably upwards of 10 on the blog r- writing out different answers and explaining what it means. But, um, I'll run with what you put out there, actually. So you said information. I've also often thought about money as kind of a composite between information, energy, and time. You know, it's obviously information in the sense that it conveys the price signal, right? So this is the, this is taking the aggregate supply of an asset in the world and taking all of the ordinal valuations that people are placing on that asset, right? The preferences people have to hold gold or whatever the commodity is, and it's distilling all of that activity, right? This whole constant storm of trading and, and decision-making and action-taking, it compresses all of that into the price signal. And so that one number has massively compressed this entire data set called the world economy or the world market for gold or for any other commodity, Right. So it's a, it's a miraculous data compression technology, just in the fact that money enables the pricing system. Obviously, money is related to energy in the sense of proof of work, right? This is what secured gold supply from debasement historically. The fact that it was expensive to discover it, mine it, refine it, coin it, etc. That was a, a cost, a, a prohibitive cost that prevented the over- expansion or the overinflation of gold supply. And if you overly inflate or expand the supply of something, obviously you compromise its integrity as a store of value. So it's the energy expenditure necessary to make gold money that secured its supply from inflation or counterfeiting. That's what made it the best store of value historically. So all of that obviously deeply connected to energy, right? And and fiat would be the reverse when you actually create a monetary instrument that has basically zero energy cost to produce new units of it it suffers hyperinflation right people overissue they overprint overinflate over counterfeit whatever you want to call it they're all the same thing and suck all the energy out of the money right that's that's kind of the the pathology we've been engaged in over time and then finally <clears throat> time you know money pretty obvious right it's something we exchange our time for and then we take into the marketplace and we expect other people to make commensurate sacrifices for the money we hold right when we go and buy something at a restaurant or clothing right there's there's time and effort that went into producing these goods and services that we're actually using money as an as an instrument to uh lay claim on so in that way i kind of it's not an exact legal analogy but i say that in the same way that a company stock, for, stock certificate is title to company capital, that money is title to human time, right? It doesn't actually mean that money gives you ownership of human time, but in effect in the marketplace, obviously it commands people's time and attention. So that's three sort of elemental ways to think about what money is, uh, but there are many, many answers um i it seems it feels like maybe through the emergence of bitcoin we're discovering how impactful money is on consciousness actually that they seem money is a tool that we use to scale human consciousness perhaps uh, again back to the price signal right you can get a whole lot of data in one little price that lets the human consciousness interact with the market which the market is just all the other all the rest of human consciousness in the world so, and you can't have that that bridge between the individual and the, the collective market process without money. So um, let me ask you so you so yeah, Carl Jung, alchemy this sounds almost like the philosopher's stone a little bit we, that was mm-hmm. prophesied for a long time that we would uh, discover or I guess we would discover, in nature in the laboratory of nature we would find redemption was kind of the premise of the philosopher's stone that we could find some incorruptible substance that would serve as an antidote to tyranny and you know we could wax philosophical about this but it is very interesting to me that bitcoin does seem to be incorruptible at least in its supply cap right no one knows how to change that or break that um and you mentioned earlier so all of this to me like namesake of the show obviously it begs the question well what is this money stuff we're talking about? Like if it's so impactful on human consciousness, it's necessary for truth discovery, perhaps it's going to usher in this revolution you know towards uh, of human consciousness, let's say. Earlier you described photosynthesis as a perfect market. So what in your mind is serving as money in the perfect market of photosynthesis? And I'm trying to back into the question here to you, which is what is money ultimately, but I'd like to understand, I'm trying to look at money through a non-economic lens, a more ontological lens, let's say. So that's why I ask you, you know, what in your opinion is the money of the perfect market that you call photosynthesis? It brings
2: us to the conversation about art. Mm -hmm. So what makes art and what makes beauty? And so what makes Mona Lisa the most viewed? Masterpiece in the world, something like twenty or thirty thousand people look at the Mona Lisa every single day in the Louvre. What is it about that assembly of lines and colors and that that was done is so powerful? Because uh, it it completely there's an absence of any um, intermediation between what the artist is saying and what the person viewing the artist is hearing. Mm. So the artist is reaching out. I mean, it's the Mona Lisa is a great example because her eyes follow you around the room, Mm -hmm. you know, people who see it will tell you this, that's the artist looking at you Mm. and there's nothing between the artist and you, their art is the perfect lens to capture that moment. Mm. And so money is effectively, if it's doing its job, well, we're completely unaware of it. Mm. And I think money's origins go back to humans quest to move. I think humans uniquely of all animals need to explore and to explore means you're moving out of where you were born and you're moving into places that you are unfamiliar with and the easiest way to do that is to have something that you can trade with because Mm. um if you just show up unannounced and nobody knows who you are they're going to stick a sword in your eyeball and you're going to be dead but if there's a knowledge out there that hey you know what uh, in this area, the people who polish stones to a very high degree and we use them as jewelry, they're sought after. And before we kill this guy, let's see if he has any of those polished stones that talk about, you know, we, we can trade with them. Um, and of course, it, it it does also encourage bad behavior as well. But I'm just, you're traveling through time with something that you can use as a medium of exchange, mm. which uh, is, is money. And over time, that, has evolved from various different types and forms to give humans the ability to be mobile and to interact with other human beings. Humans are desperately lonely in this Mm. universe because we have brains that are way beyond our ability to use them. And so we get lost in our own minds and we need other people around to avoid going insane. And the, the way to do that is to simply interact with other humans. And the way to do that is you've got to get off your ass and move and you've got to travel. And to do that, you need to to trade with something mm-hmm. and to, to to get food, to find out where the, to get information. I mean, this is where mm-hmm. money and information, the parallels come because you're using your money, your exchangeable good to get the information you need to find out, well, how do I get some water? How do I get where am I you know mm-hmm. so then this evolves into this information network over you know 100,000 years or more specifically over the past five to 10,000 years over the past few hundred years obviously the gold had because become the number one um money because it has great attributes if you're somebody traveling around and you need the medium of exchange in, in a way that it gives you the ability to travel through time because gold's purchasing power due to its scarcity remains constant. Mm-hmm. And, um, it allows you to travel through space because it's, it's somewhat portable, mm-hmm. it's divisible, it's fungible. So with gold, you have the ability to be free, to, to walk mm-hmm. anywhere. I think we can go anywhere in the world. If I have gold, they'll take it. Mm-hmm. That's the great thing about gold. Um, You know, flash forward to Bitcoin. Bitcoin does everything that gold and money we expect it to do, except it does it better. It does it in the digital age. It's more secure. It's more portable. Uh, everything that we talk about Bitcoin. So Bitcoin represents the the long search for perfect money Mm. in that sense. And as a result, it has caused massive uh nervous um, neurological problems in people who are incapable of handling this idea of perfect mm-hmm. money again. So you have someone like a, a Sam, Sam Bankman Freed who looks at the quote unquote crypto market and becomes the biggest crook in history. Mm-hmm. Uh, be- and then you have somebody uh, like a Michael Saylor or a president Bukele who looks at it and says, you know, this is actually a way to help a- or engineer our, our lives and our economy in ways that are gonna benefit everybody.
3: And this idea of capitalist profit, which many people on the left seem to be very afraid of, really only implies two things. Profit is not something extra. It is a measure of the efficiency of the process. When we take profit out of the process, and this is why we see that non-governmental organizations, non-profit, actually governmental organizations which don't have to make ends meet, incur some of the greatest waste possible because they can always voice their losses on the taxpayer. So it isn't that profit is something extra or that it's something that only accused to a few people. It is the efficiency of capital allocation that allows for the lowest prices in the marketplace, that allows for capitalists to hire more labor and allows for the most efficient redistribution of that wealth. Right? When Amazon becomes more wealthy, what do they do? They turn around and grow more and hire more people. I think there are probably a few nuances in there which we should break down so that. We're helping people, because I think it's a tough pill for a lot of people to swallow. It's like, hey, wait, why is profit this great thing? Well, it's this great thing because it allows us to incentivize efficiency. And if we don't put profits first, we're incentivizing inefficiency, which is exactly what we get in either overproduction or underproduction of goods in planned economies.
4: I love the definition, actually. Profit is the measurement of the efficiency of the market process. And admittedly, maybe that's somewhat of a... It's not a a precise measurement right sometimes people get on to me when you say money is a measure of value of course value is subjective you can't precisely mathematically measure it but it's sort of an approximate gauge let's say and that is what you want right you want to increase aggregate profits for every market actor because that essentially means they are in a market when we say that when i say market i mean in a a forum where property cannot be violated, only consensually exchanged, that basically indicates that they are satisfying the demands, the most urgent demands of consumers in the most efficient, effective way possible, right? And it's that race that drives innovation, that drives intelligent capital allocation. It's like people are saying, we want this, they're voting with their wallets through buying and selling, and then producers are rushing in to satisfy those demands and the, the more profits you create, that means a that that indicates that you're doing a better job. So the, this weird, we have this weird demonization of profits in the minds of most people today, you know, they talk about like, oh, for profit companies and oh, this is a nonprofit company. So this company's okay. It's like the exact opposite, actually, right? Um, not that nonprofits are bad per se, but they're not going to drive innovation and efficient capital allocation the same way a for profit organizations will.
3: Yeah, the Austrians have a great line on this and I think Mises explicitly says, he said, profit is a psychic phenomenon. What does that mean? This is the reason that in a voluntary exchange, both people can profit and both people can come out richer because you wouldn't have affected the exchange if you didn't think the good you are going to receive was more valuable to you than the money that was in your pro- in your pocket. And this is this I guess that 's how Mises breaks down this this paradox is that yes, there are these kind of cardinal objective numbers or prices in the market, but the actual feeling of profit is an intensive and the feeling of value is an intensive quantity quality I should say, and individuals have to judge that for themselves, but one of the ways that we keep score and one of the ways that we know which businesses should continue and which shouldn 't is simply by looking at is that business able to make ends meet. And this is really, I don't know how we got here, but this is really the connection that proof of work has to reality. And when planned economies become disconnected from reality and they just say, well, everybody should have everything, time and time again, uh, Vietnam, the former Soviet Union, the list goes on and on and on. They just end up producing massive, massive shortage and massive poverty, North Korea being another example.
4: If you are a business owner or manager, you should know these three numbers, thirty-six thousand, twenty-five, 25, and one. 36,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, which allows you to streamline accounting, financial management, human resources, and more. NetSuite turns 25 years old this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days rather than weeks, and to drive down cost. And finally, one, because your business is one of a kind, so with NetSuite, you get a customized solution for all your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth. NetSuite is everything you need all in one place. Right now, you can download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com whatismoney. That's netsuite.com whatismoney to get your free KPI checklist. Again, netsuite.com slash what is money. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, iCoin Technology. iCoin has just released a sleek new hardware wallet. It looks like a mini iPhone, a little touch screen and camera on it. Uh, the device has no Wi-Fi, no cellular connection, no GPS. It's a strictly physically cold hardware wallet. Uh, like I said, it's got a high-res three-inch touch screen. It's got a camera for air gapping the wallet. Uh, it's got optional Bluetooth compatibility, and it's a really a, a brand new UI, UX experience for a hardware wallet, making it very accessible, easy to use, not intimidating. And as we always talk about on this show, the only way you can truly own your Bitcoin is by having it in self-custody. So you need a device like iCoin Wallet to truly own your Bitcoin. Go to icointechnology.com today and use promo code Bitcoin23 for 30% off of this new sleek hardware wallet.
5: You know, everyone still needs dollars. Yeah. Right? In the in the dollar economy. Kind of, you want to go down to the grocery store. That won't always be the case. And like you said, I'm not I'm not eliminating the the fluctuating uncertainty of the dollar via Bitcoin, even though some people might use it that way. It's like I know that Bitcoin is a better form of money, yes. and everybody else is going to figure that out. And in the future, I am going to need Bitcoin to go buy gas at the right. gas station and food at the grocery store. And there is a b- very big difference of trading Bitcoin to get more dollars versus recognizing that Bitcoin is a better form of money. And if I am going to want to trade with other people that are delivering goods and services to the market, I am going to need that form of money, right? Um, and so, I, like, I, I do think that is a very fundamental distinction. Um, and that people figure that's like when the light bulb goes off. And I think the part of it is like if I, if any, if you canvass your group of friends or your network of people, not more than one out of a hundred people understand that Bitcoin is a better form of money.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: Like that's a conservative. Like maybe it's still one in because a thousand. Because they don't
4: understand money largely, right? Yeah, yeah. They don't
5: understand money, and and. and Money's hard to understand. I Mm -hmm. I like to say that's the hardest thing to understand about Bitcoin. It has very little to do with Bitcoin, Mm -hmm. everything to do about what money is. But if people accept that no more than one out of 100 people really grok Bitcoin and it's probably realistically no more than one in Mm 1,000, then to say it's a hedge to inflation, if 999 out of 1,000 people do not understand something and then inflation appears, Mm -hmm. you cannot expect everyone just to like herd over to that point. Right. That it's a process of understanding that yeah. question. The definition of your show was money mm-hmm. um, and inflation. People don't really right. know what that is. Yeah, but that is. It's like you know, into your, to your question, because I, I, I think I, I think about it the same way. It is the counterparty risk, the the tr- the problem of trust, mm-hmm. like inherently, like because counterparty risk can be thought of as like, what is somebody that owes that I have a contract with? Are they going to perform? Yeah. Um, but in the feds world because they can arbitrarily create money it is a trust based system mm-hmm. um and that is inherently at odds with independent people throughout an economy relying on a form of money and having to have trust mm-hmm. in a few group of people who have maximum control
1: yeah
5: and and you know i, I don't I, I talk about some in the piece but that that is the core distinction it's like fixed money supply in, you know, ever-increasing debasement, but it's also trust-based system, trustless system. And the only way we get this world where we can have a solution to inflation is it being trustless and not having to put trust into anybody else because not just that that trust has been broken, but there is an inherent problem with a trusted model when it comes to your money. Absolutely.
4: I think you answered the question, what is money? Uh, in your your conversation with Sailor, you said it's purchasing power, essentially something like that, right? Something, yeah, and I'd, like... I'd
1: expand that too. I think it's 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 well, money might not be purchasing power. It's purchasing power would be what it allows you to do. Mm-hmm. But I think that if I really had to be specific, i I'd, other than pieces of paper, I would. I, would, I think my best answer would be it's just um, it's just balance sheet.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: That's all it is. It's money is just it's a bank's balance sheet. That's it. And and you if you want to throw in base money, it's it's the Fed's balance sheet. It's just it's just that's all we're dealing with here. Are just it's just a network of balance sheets mm-hmm. at the end of the day.
4: Yeah, so agreed and you could say balance sheet is almost representative of purchasing power, right? That's what your net worth is, is kind of your net um, assets effectively, the, the fair market value of the organization, whatever it may be. If we could just simplify money as a container for this purchasing power, right? You get to put purchasing power in this little container and transact it with other people. In that transaction, where the US government creates $10 trillion in new treasuries, sells them to the Fed. The Fed is effectively lending the US government the purchasing power uh, of dollar holders, right? Or dollar savers, because they're diluting, they're they're introducing new dollars into circulation that is diluting the purchasing power of savers over time. We said we were going to talk about this, though. Like, what is your you had a definition of money I think you wanted to share, Well, and you know it's my favorite question, so I have to ask you. What is money?
6: I, I, I love I love that you asked this question, but I asked this question from a completely different context than you. Like, I, I see money as the ability to exchange. It's the way that we make agreements or focus attention. Mm we exchange money so that we each agree where we are going to put our attention you build a building mm. by putting a certain amount of capital that gets all parties who are participating to focus on building this building
5: mm-hmm.
6: it's 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 like the way it's like the the physical manifestation of focus mm-hmm. but i ask this question from a different context when i'm working with entrepreneurs because the business model of capitalism.com is that we teach entrepreneurship. We we teach entrepreneurs and we excel in getting entrepreneurs to their, their first their first million. That's our bread and butter. And it's so interesting to see the, the beliefs that people bring to entrepreneurship that they have about money, and that their beliefs about money either support or hinder their success as an entrepreneur, whereas money is just the way that we're focusing attention and creating exchange between each other. If you can get an entrepreneur to realize that money isn't actually real, that money is just a mechanism through which we trade, it it almost um, mel- melts their brain in the same way hmm. that you might have had your brain melt when you saw how big Bitcoin could get. That it's almost a fundamental new way to view the world. Because we have these stories about, well, money is freedom. It's ridiculous. Money, equal. money and freedom are completely unattached. One, They are completely different things. You can have a lot of money and not be free. You can have a lot of money and be free. Mm. The opposites are true, too. They're, they are separated. They are mutually exclusive. And... If you believe that money is free, then you're always dependent on money for freedom and therefore you're a slave to money. That's a very interesting paradox. Mm. And so if you can get an entrepreneur specifically or an investor to see that money is the expression of focus, the expression of value, the ironic thing is then they start aligning their focus and their value appropriately and I start making a lot of money, mm-hmm. and so money is a made-up idea to give ourselves permission to focus and to serve one another. That is my definition of money.
4: I like that. the. It's funny you described it as kind of a means of allocating our attention. I wrote yeah. a blog series on that. I, that was one of my answers to the question: "What is money? Money is an attention allocation technology." Yes, it is. It's just telling yes, it us where you know what is what relevant features of the world should we be putting our attention towards, right? It's a it's a way of signaling, right? It's, and what we say this all the time: actions speak louder than words. Obviously, well, what is capital? Capital is the result of many, 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 many actions, right? It takes a lot of actions to get your first million or whatever the piece of capital yeah. is. Well, that carries a lot more weight than any individual action, right? Someone puts a million bucks into a deal that says a lot more than what they did last night at dinner, something like that. Right. That's right. So agreed with all that, I would, again, maybe this is where the term freedom is ambiguous, because I agree, money is not freedom per se. But if we say, if we're defining freedom as optionality, then there's a pretty strong correlation, because money is just pure optionality in the marketplace. But that doesn't mean money's gonna give you psychological freedom, right? You can't just be rich and like be internally free, I guess. Right? I would classify that as more, more like something like the absence of fear, right? That would be so psychologically
3: more, for sure. Yes, psychologically
4: sure. free. So well, that you, term you freedom to... gets muddied, you know. It gets well well, you need
6: resources in order to have optionality. Yes. And and money is the Conductive most resources. easily exchanged resource. Yeah. Exactly. So 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 again I think money is the manifestation of choice or focus,
4: mm-hmm.
6: but I don't think that it necessarily is the driver of freedom and choices.
4: I agree with that. I agree with that. It's um what someone else said this it's one of the most salient signals that humans can communicate basically. Mhm. Right. Um. yeah, someone's investing in your project or whatever. That means they believe in you, right? They've, they've, they're they putting yes. their skin in the game. They're putting their energy, their life force behind you. That That's says right. a lot more than standing on the sideline and applauding your efforts, right? It speaks much more. The volume is much louder in that action of investing versus applauding.
6: Yeah. that In, in the same way, purchasing something says a lot more yes. than providing feedback for something. I, I remember I was buying a car and uh, I test drove the car and the, the salesperson says, uh, did you like it? I said, yeah, I liked it. And he said, do you want to own it? And I said, I might like to own it, but I don't want to buy it. <laughs> and 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 just in expressing that, it was like, I like this enough to have it. Right. But I don't like this enough to spend resources right on it. And so which which is the greater expression of value? Right. If you say you like it or if you spend money on
4: it. 100% yeah, the skin in the game it is a medium that imparts skin in the game, right? Because like given a free choice, everyone's going to choose to own the private island obviously. <laughs> when the price tag is associated with the ownership, you get a lot fewer people <laughs> ponying that's out right. the private island. Um that's, right. that's an interesting take. So you mentioned too your background is in Austrian economics, but you thought that perhaps that may have given you some hesitancy about Bitcoin originally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you brought up Schiff early on, like that's a guy that again. Mm-hmm. Goldbug, right? Agrees with Bitcoiners on all the problems set, but disagrees on the solution. What, what is it about? Um, because for me it was the opposite. Austrian economics actually clarified a lot of my thinking around Bitcoin. So sure. I'm wondering what, what aspects of Austrian economics gave you hesitancy about Bitcoin well,
6: or Robert, I I have a religious background. You know, I went to I went to college, Indiana West University thought I was going to be a pastor for a good part of my life uh ended up studying economics and so there's a there's a religious there's a religious undertone to my formative years but also a religious undertone to the school of, of, of economics mm. that I was taught because uh, instead of becoming a pastor I studied business and economics. And so I, I, I think there is, at least in my experience, or my experience was a very black and white view to how the world should be, how the government should be, how the economy should operate. And anything that violated a religious view is going to be seen as bad right mm. there's there's very little flexibility in a religious view of anything mm. and i mean religious by the by the idea of black and white and no fundamentalism animals. yes right yeah. and i think bitcoin was such a radical idea and such a new idea from where most of us that come from a the school of thought of austrian economics that it took some time to sort of soften to the idea of it, because Bitcoin isn't perfect. Mm. It's very good. It's very good. But there are still some like philosophical questions or technologies that we haven't quite worked out yet, or some use cases that we haven't seen yet. We don't have 500 years of history to be able to compare to. And so I think I think it violates the fundamental view in the same way that, you know, uh, rock music was a threat to churches. Mm. It, it's, it's, it's a new way of viewing the expression of values that mm. we might agree on. But our backgrounds and fundamentalist views prevent us from adopting at least quickly. And I think that's okay. Like new ideas shouldn't always be accepted right away. That's when you get crypto pump and dumps. Right. But I think we're starting to realize that Bitcoin is winning.
4: Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a strange one because I think one of the most useful answers, I guess, to the question, what is money, is just when you arrive at the properties of good money and people will name you know anywhere between 3 to 30 properties of useful money um i found the austrian economic and libertarian philosopher gary north very clarifying on this he narr- narrows it down to 5 right good you want money that's divisible durable recognizable portable scarce and so when you understand that like, that's these are the attributes you want in a good money. This is this is what you want the tool to do, to do these things. Yeah. It helps you get past the specific instantiation of those things. Like all of a sudden, my, my view with gold bugs is they they're too attached to the vehicle that best satisfied those properties historically, which is gold, right? Gold right. that's the right. most divisible, durable, recognizable, portable, scarce thing we ever had. That doesn't mean that it's the most optimal money we will ever have, right so you ha- you almost have to get one layer beneath the physical instantiation of the money to really understand what we're looking for. And I think when you when you look at money through that lens and I again, I got this from Austrian economics that's why it was so clarifying for me that you can now see a potential future where gold is actually, supplanted right supplanted by
2: yeah superior form of
4: money which um again looking at bitcoin through a similar lens i think it just it's superior to gold so therefore people will favor the superior monetary technology
6: the time may come in our lifetimes or not that something better than bitcoin arrives Mm. and If that is the case, there will likely be a lot of resistance from Bitcoin maximalists. We'll be the old gold bugs by then. (laughs) Exactly that, right? And so in some ways, we're all humans and we are all vulnerable to religious thinking Mm -hmm. of our way of operating that got us to the point, this point, is superior to anything new,
5: mm-hmm.
6: right? And I think since even you are a, a, a Bitcoin maximalist, you've seen enough projects come and go and opportunities come and go and make promises and go away that you're pretty set in your position that Bitcoin is the best alternative and that there is it's extremely rare that anything soon is gonna come along and supplant it or replace it. It's, mm. That's Peter Schiff and gold, <laughs> you know. And and so I think we are all vulnerable to that type of thinking based on the experience that gets us here.
4: Yeah, I, I would agree with that to an extent. So I do think you know the old adage, "You can't teach an old dog new tricks." There's some truth in that, right? There's a reason Bitcoin is generational, right? Older people tend to not get it as sure. much as younger people, right? Um, so there's definitely some truth in that, but I would add, there's definitely the my, my empirical observational experience of seeing shitcoin after shitcoin project yeah. the moon and catastrophically implode. But there's also the theoretical, the rationalistic view that I don't know. Again, if you're looking at Bitcoin, as money, right? It's perfected these properties. Of, I won't say perfected, virtually perfected. It's infinitely divisible, unlimited durability. You can audit the entire supply, You know, fully counterfeit resistant, very portable. Obviously, it's just information and it has a fixed supply of 21 million. So it's basically like maxed out the design space for good money. So it's not just the, the observation of shit coins failing. There's also a theoretical underpinning. It's like rat, like from a rational standpoint, if a new money did emerge that outcompeted Bitcoin, what would it look like? What would it do? Mm-hmm. So that like, it's hard. No one's conceptualized, I mean, in my opinion, no one's conceptualized anything where any gap, let's say in Bitcoin's attributes is good money. So like, okay, that's one thing. Maybe I have blind spots. Maybe I have, there's a property or three that I don't know about good money that some other technology will figure out. But the last piece to this argument that's really strong is, even if that were the case, and shitcoin XYZ has three new properties that Bitcoin doesn't have and we really need in good money, well, Bitcoin is open source, right? Bitcoin still has this capacity to absorb feature set from other competitive technologies. So it, it still maintains this ability to adapt. It's not like, like gold doesn't adapt really, right? You don't, but, you can't But, but people would have made similar gold.
6: arguments for, for gold for hundreds of years, right? Because they couldn't conceive anything different. And because the technology didn't exist for a Bitcoin, the chance exists that in a hundred years, there may be something completely different that we can't see. Of course. And my, my, my original point was just that I think the Bitcoin maximalists of today Will be the gold bugs of yesterday yeah if and when that system comes along because we're all sort of vulnerable to that religious thinking if we're not more committed to values than we are about being right
4: yeah and i agree with that like i always want to reserve the humility to be wrong right especially yeah long just rare today well if you're talking 100 plus years in the future you're almost certainly fucking wrong no matter what you're, <laughs> you're almost guaranteed to be wrong about whatever you think one of my highest health priorities is keeping my brain in top shape to take care of my brain power i do many things such as striving to read write exercise and meditate daily one of the latest tools in my brain power toolkit is mind Lab pro mind Lab pro is a nootropic supplement that is scientifically proven to enhance your brain power When I take MindLab Pro, my mind feels like it has a better grip on the world, my thinking is more lucid, and the articulation of my speech is much more clear. MindLab Pro has been tested in rigorous, double-blind, placebo-controlled human trials and has been proven to enhance brain power for users in every age group. MindLab Pro is an advanced formulation of 11 nootropic ingredients and is backed by research from 1,473 human trials conducted over a period of 32 years. So if you're looking to start enhancing your brain power, MindLab Pro is an excellent solution. Go to mindlabpro.com/breedlove to start enhancing your brain power today. Again, that's mindlabpro.com/breedlove. Now, I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, CrowdHealth. CrowdHealth is a Bitcoin-enabled alternative to legacy health insurance. Now let's face it, Legacy health insurance is an absolute scam. Nobody can explain this better than the legendary comedian Chris Rock.
5: Insurance. You got to have some insurance. You got to. There's an insurance. They shouldn't even call it insurance. They should just call it in case shit. And I give a company some money in case shit happens. Now, if shit don't happen, shouldn't I get my money back?
4: So with CrowdHealth, instead of just paying premiums that you'll never see again, you can hold part of this pool of savings in dollars and in Bitcoin through CrowdHealth. And when you have a health event, you can draw against this pool of communal savings. So go to joincrowdhealth.com breedlove to learn more or sign up. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor Wasabi Wallet. With Wasabi Wallet, you can receive, send, and store Bitcoin privately. In Wasabi Wallet, your transaction history and wallet balance are completely hidden. Wasabi Wallet is easy to use, all of its privacy features are built in by default, and it works with any amount of Bitcoin. Wasabi users can make CoinJoin transactions together with BTC Pay Server users or Trezor Suite users. For BTC Pay Server users, they can make payments directly inside of a coin join. And for Trezor Suite users, you can make coin joins directly on a hardware wallet. These features result in the fee savings and security improvements for both sets of users. So go to wasabiwallet.io today to download the state-of-the-art Bitcoin privacy wallet. So you host a podcast called the What Is Money podcast. So I know we have a limited time here. But I mean, is it too general for me to ask you, Robert, what is what is money? <laughs> yeah, it's a huge question. Um, one that we spend quite literally hundreds of hours exploring on the show. Yeah. And, um, you know, I have a document with many answers to this question, like over 50, 50 I've blogged about several of them, maybe like a dozen or so. Um, Very seemingly simple question, but it definitely opens up into this cavernous kind of philosophical rabbit hole. And um, maybe one useful way to conceptualize money or one of the useful framings or definitions is that money is the language of value. And so if if we try to parse that apart a little bit, language, somewhat obvious, like we, the three of us are all running the open source software called English right now. Um, this is a, it's a software package, right? And yep. it only works to the extent that we have, that we share consensus on terms. So when I say the word term, right? I have to assume that you have in your mind, roughly the same meaning as I am projecting. That's what makes me, lets me be able to make noises with my face hole and you can decrypt it in your own mind and we can communicate, right? It's a very powerful software package. Uh, People don't typically think about language that way, that it's a technology, but it is. Um, I would also add in here things like numeracy, right? Mathematics is another one of these very powerful software packages that we don't think about a lot. But it's something that distinguishes man from animal in a lot of ways. And so money is the language of value. Uh, Value is a bit of a mysterious term. I think Ayn Rand has a great definition for value. And she says, value is that which man acts to gain or keep. So it's the, whatever we are orienting human action towards. Mm -hmm. uh, You could say actually that any action you're taking in a particular moment is an expression of your highest value, right? We all have an internalized hierarchy of preferences or values, things we want to do, right? And whatever you're doing in that moment comes at the necessary exclusion of all other things you could be doing, right? Action, any particular path of action is mutually exclusive to all other potential paths of action. So money is something that is communicating. It takes all, everyone has their own internalized hierarchy of value. We're acting in the world, expressing what we value. And money is this strange sort of linguistic software that compresses all those preferences, which are just, they're ordinal. So first, second, third, fourth, it turns all that ordinal data into a cardinal value, which is the price. So you can actually put a number to the worth of something, right? The worth of a commodity, the net worth of an individual, right? In a a purely economic sense. So, one useful way to describe money is as this software package that we're all running that lets us transform our individually held preferences into a collective data point that we can all orient ourselves against which is the market price and it that sounds super abstract so I'll try to bring it down to earth a little bit if you are a copper producer and you see that the price of copper suddenly spikes, you don't need to know why. You don't need to know that maybe a copper mine in Chile collapsed, right? The supply was cut. All you need to know is that the preferences of humans across the world competing in the same market relative to the supply of available copper has suddenly caused that price to move up. So now you as a producer have a direct financial incentive to produce more copper. If the price goes up, well, then all of a sudden, you can afford more exotic forms of mining, for instance. And on the other end of the market as a consumer, when the price goes up, you're incentivized to use less, or to use substitutes, maybe you can use bronze instead of Mm -hmm. copper or whatever it may be. So the market price is this miraculous coordination tool that no humans need to share a narrative or a story about what happened at all, we can just mathematically express the real conditions of commodities and assets in the world relative to the preferences of all market actors and so we get this for fen- not like unbelievable amount of data compression right there's all these things in the world that are affecting the copper industry logistics uh, energy mining uh, tariffs you know there's countless things that influence the price of copper but all you need to know as a producer is that the price moved right so you get this unparalleled capacity for data compression and that is necessary for running the distributed computing process we call the market you have to have accurate prices such that markets can satisfy human wants which is to say solve problems basically so without money you know without the language of value the market process is not possible and we are really reduced in our capacity to increase our standard of living, to increase the satisfaction of human wants, to solve more problems. So it's hard to overstate how important of a tool that is, even though it can be a bit difficult to describe. Yeah, for sure. I don't know if you've got anything
5: to say, but I, we can elaborate more on this, but I was just curious because money is so important and yet we've been conditioned, many people have been conditioned to think money is the root of all evil. And so yeah. I'm curious your your thoughts on that.
4: Yeah, I'm glad you bring that up because there is a misconception right there. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. Not that money is the root of all evil. The Bible references money thousands of times, Uh, talks about the importance of honest weights and measures. And if you look at Christ in particular, the story of Christ, right, the archetypal human consciousness right meeting betrayal with compassion and hatred with love and just just a purely a perfect human essentially what does this what does it tell us that the one time Christ loses his shit in the bible is on the money changers people that are tampering with the weights and measures they were actually using to coordinate the market process there's only one time that man goes into full rage mode and it's against the money changers, which today we call central bankers. So that was a bit of an aside, but to answer the question in particular, I would agree that the love of money or the love of worldly things can be a very reliable pathway to evil, right? If you consider that evil is willingly afflicting on someone, like something in your own self consciousness, you know, you would not enjoy. You know what hurt you, if you willingly inflict that on another for worldly gain, right? To get more stuff, more food, more money, whatever it is, that seems to be a a pretty reliable pathway to evil. And I think it also speaks to the tremendous power of incentives to shape human action. And when I see Christ flipping out on the money changers, it, again, if it's if money is the language of value. It's as if you're attacking language itself and which is something we've seen done by a lot of aspiring dictators across time, a lot of wokest and modernity, uh, attacking definitions like man and woman, like all of these things. If you attack language or money, again, if money's language of value, this is the mechanism by which we adapt ourselves to reality, right? Reality is always changing. It's this infinitely fluid and complex domain. We're constantly trying to adapt to it in ways that are prosperous for us, right? We're trying to satisfy more human wants in the face of all this uh, unknown, right? All this complexity. If you attack the medium by which we adapt to reality, which is either language or money, you totally undermine the entire human enterprise, no matter what it is. So this is how I would interpret um, the importance of money and the reason Christ flipped out. But, but there's a key difference there, right? It's like the importance of a tool to appreciate and use it properly does not mean loving the pursuit of that tool for its own sake. So um, we have to distinguish between I guess just the purpose of a tool, right? The money will not bring you happiness. You cannot accumulate more money and just become happy by virtue of possessing it. But it is an indispensable tool for for the market process to work. And the market process is what satisfies human wants. It's what creates innovation. And it's what creates wealth and abundance in the world. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned, you brought up,
2: I guess, Ayn Rand earlier. I mean, she said the verdict you pronounce upon money, which is the source of your livelihood, is the verdict you pronounce upon your life.
4: I mean, you just can't emphasize the importance of this enough that like, it's in the word rationality, right? We're actually trying to use ratios to compare things. But if that denominator is soft, right, or changeable, then all of a sudden, it's very difficult to have rational conversation because... What I say is household income in one moment is different, there's a different unit called household in the next moment. Whereas if we use something like per capita income or per capita assets or debt or whatever we're measuring, we're using the individual as the denominator. Yes, And that's also in the word, right? The individual is indivisible. So it's the right constant unit of measurement uh, when we're talking about things economic. And if you're using household statistics or other these other useful fictions, which can be useful uh, and just kind of parlance, but when you get into the mathematics of it, you really need to get to the, the lowest common denominator, I guess, would be what we're, we're searching for here in the individual. That's right. And that is necessary to have rational discourse about these topics. Uh, it's necessary that we use the right ratios, right? Right numerators, right denominators.
3: Man, some of the the work that we did on Mises is just flooding back to me now. And essentially, money is the denominator that everyone uses as a common Mm -hmm. frame of reference. And we talked about this example that if you had people constructing a building and everybody had a slightly different definition of a meter, that building wouldn't stand more than two or three meters tall. So we have a universal denominator, something like a Bitcoin that allows us to project and build much more stable and efficient and correct economic structures right so as yeah. we do more complex engineering more complex creation you know a 1 millimeter error doesn't matter for instance in uh, let's say a teacup boy it matters a lot in the space shuttle mm-hmm. and the that is mises's point is that computation demands units and there's no exchange there's no accurate economic calculation if people aren't talking about the same thing
4: when we talk about printing money being a problem right as mises says money is that through which we express the pricing, the pricing system is expressed. So we're taking exchange ratios and communicating them in a common denominator of money. That's right. When you start to debase that money, you get all these confusing effects inside of the market, right? Price signal distortion, capital misallocation, exacerbating, exacerbating the boom and bust business cycle. And we're saying again, structurally somewhat the same thing here that if we speak in terms of changeable categories or classes, we're distorting our ability to have true like authentic truth-seeking dialogue. We we're engaging in some kind of collective self-deception, if you will. That's right. And, you know, even the way you think, if you think in these terms, in terms of That's households right. instead of individuals, like you're gonna confuse yourself. So it's it's um, I don't know, it seems very permission pernicious that. We have to get so hard on these definitions, but uh, the majority of people, maybe you don't have an appreciation for how important that is, because it's not so emotionally compelling to tell people, hey, we have to get super precise on our definitions before we continue this conversation. It's much easier to say, "Ah, oh, down with the 1% and like right. m- mobilize this, this fervor.
3: Well, populists, uh, this is an, an unpopular opinion, but I think true analysis that populists have the easiest job in the world, they tell people what they want to hear, that someone else mm-hmm. is responsible for your problems. <laughs> and there's also, I think what you were getting to, Robert, is that there's a great intellectual burden in having to like, what are we all supposed to do, like spend 10 hours a day reading economics? Like, And there is an answer to this, by the way, and, and that is that we have to dissect things to the matter of principle. You don't have to memorize a lot of economic facts. You do need to know that there is a conflict of interest when a politician makes a numerical argument.
4: So the Um, confluence of all these things, as you mentioned earlier, is this erosion of national sovereignty seems like a tendency towards one locus of power, or or one or a few perhaps loci of power in the world. you know, in my mind, admittedly, as kind of like a money nerd slash Bitcoiner. I don't see any other action we can take other than really holding wealth in something like Bitcoin that actually empowers individual sovereignty as a counterforce against the erosion of national sovereignty or the centralization of, of wealth. What in your mind, like what other actions can we take as a counterforce against this centralizing tendency? Uh, I, I assume you would say voting probably doesn't work so well. No. Uh, what, what, <laughs> yeah, and I, don't I would agree does, strongly. Yeah. What else can we do?
0: Right. So, you know, what you mentioned about about Bitcoin, like that's a step towards sovereignty and your finances. But if you think about like how is one truly free from the system? Or whatever Mm -hmm. you want to call it it's not just about money is it because money is what like we ultimately use to buy the things we need but what if Mm -hmm. you can produce the things you need yourself or what if you could be in a community that produces Mm -hmm. those needs or can assist you with them uh if you don't have money or something like that right? right because there have been times obviously at some point in human history i mean it's money is a human invention right but humans existed before money yeah So, you know, what do we need to survive? Well, food, shelter, all of that stuff, you know, if you are are worried about the government going after Bitcoin, or you want to hedge your bets on have all your, you know, eggs in one basket, it would make sense to invest in a homestead in a house and gardening, or even if not, if you can't do that, you can, you know, put money into like farming co-ops or like local farms that can produce it and they'll supply you in times of, you know, economic crisis or whatever. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to, to look at it, but ultimately it comes to developing your local community, whether it's like your local homestead or like your neighborhood, Mm -hmm. you know, somewhere where you can actually, as one person, like affect actual change. Mm. Which is going to be on the local level. So, you know, unfortunately, especially, you know, it's not exclusive to the US, but I think it's true in the US, like you're not really going to get any help with what's coming from the state Mm -hmm. or national government. Uh, Maybe you have a better shot at affecting change in local government for Mm -hmm. a window of time. Uh but that's not guaranteed either, and mm-hmm. you know historically, in times of extreme crisis, people have to lean on each other, and The more prepared your community is, whether you know i, I don't really care how people define the size of a community, but it's definitely not going to be that big, any bigger than a county it's going to be smaller mm-hmm. than that. You can you know set up a system where you're resilient and and independent of the system to the greatest mm-hmm. degree possible, and they can't necessarily make that illegal. You know right, what
4: I mean, right? Right. So self sufficiency, right? Like uh, being able to generate your own yeah. power, your own food, yeah. shelter, etc.
0: If you can uh, produce your own needs, you don't need to depend on anyone else for it. So you have you have sovereignty.
4: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, unfortunately, that's a much more costly existence too, right? That you're it, in terms you of you,
0: time. Yeah, because yeah, because you don't get to participate.
4: In the the global division of labor, so I hear you loud and clear. Like, yes, makes all this, the sense in the world to be self sufficient. But you can do it on a
0: smaller scale, right? So, like, yeah. you don't necessarily have to invest in. Okay, I'm going to pr- produce 100 percent of my own food. Right. You can have a smaller garden and be like, I'm going to produce this year 15. percent.
4: Right. Right. Or something. So, yeah. You and need then I'm going to make contact
0: with the people that live down there, and they're going to, you know, grow this stuff, and I'm going to grow this stuff. Mm-hmm. And if times get hard, like we can share or something yeah. and then you like build a community that way you know i'm not necessarily an expert in this stuff but ultimately right. it's all it all comes down to parallel systems from yep. the existing system right because right. if right. you continue to be in a situation where you're dependent on the existing system and they're going about transforming our world and transforming all of those systems, they are going to try and lure you into this new system. That is not like the old system at all. It's much more predatory and controlling and dystopian than anything humans have ever been subjected to in, in our existence as a species.
5: So
4: go
0: along for that ride, or you start investing in how to not go along for that ride.
4: Right, Um, right, right. Yeah.
0: And it's not going to be the same for everybody.
4: Right. Yeah. And that's painful either way, right? You can either just lull yourself into complacency thinking that we're we're all wearing tinfoil hats and none of this will happen. And then you subject yourself to the ultimate pain of that dystopian future, or you invest yeah. you know, endure some pain now. And your now. kids yeah. and your kids, yeah. So yeah. And then yeah, grassroots political maneuvering, maybe that has some effect, but obviously it's not gonna change. Um, oh. these giant power dynamics that are already in motion.